0: On page 1095, and we're going to read the first 13 verses Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. The priests and captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus. The resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John and because it was evening they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day the rulers, elders and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander and the other men of the high priest family they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And took note that these men had been with Jesus. And then if you would turn back to Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 20. It's on page 1002 if you're using a paper Bible, otherwise you will find it on your phone. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Do you have that passage uh, in front of you? Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Uh, the Church Bibles, it's page 1002. Have you ever longed for something to happen? Something so wonderful, so amazing, you could hardly wait for it. Uh, Something, perhaps, that had been on your mind for weeks, months, even years. I think uh, when you're children, it's always the holidays, isn't it? That school would end and the holidays begin. You look forward to it, you count, I don't know, but do you ever count off the days, write them down, you know, cross them off, getting closer, getting closer. I don't know quite why it was that, School days seem longer than holidays. They they just seem to go fast, don't they, holidays? Just whiz by. Or it could be a special family occasion. I don't know about you, but in the summer, some families all get together. We're all getting together uh, with the grandchildren and so on. Or it could be a wedding. It could be some special occasion. You look forward to it. You imagine it. Think back to a time like that. And if you can remember how you felt then, that will give you just a tiny inkling of what it was like to be in Galilee when Jesus arrived and said those dramatic words which you read in verse 15 of chapter 1. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The event was one longed for and looked for Since Old Testament times, namely when God, the Messiah, the Anointed One, would reign on earth. But when it did happen, the event was very different from what was expected. Not a political triumph by an all conquering earthly figure, but God Himself coming in the flesh to rule over the individual hearts of men and women. You catch something of the expectancy in the story of Simeon. Now, we normally only hear about Simeon in the Christmas services, one of the readings. In Luke 2, we read how Mary and Joseph brought the six-week-old baby Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem to dedicate him to God. We're then told that Simeon, a devout and a good man, had been expecting the Messiah to come soon. And the Holy Spirit had impelled Simeon to go to the temple that very day. And when he saw the infant Jesus, he immediately took him in his arms and said, Lord, now I can die content, for I have seen him as you promised me I would. I have seen the Savior you have given to the world. That's an extraordinary thing to say, isn't it? I can die content because the thing you promised I have now seen fulfilled, the thing I was longing for. Do you catch the excitement in Simeon's voice? And no doubt, as Jesus walked around Galilee, as we read here in Mark 1, similar excitement followed him. Could this be the one? We hoped for, we expected, we're looking for. But firstly, I want to concentrate on what was the message that he brought. The message he brought was simply good news. I am a sucker for good news, particularly at the moment. I will turn off the bad news, and I'm looking for good news. In an article in September 2007, American preacher John Piper put it this way, the gospel is the news that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for our sins and rose again, eternally triumphant over all his enemies, so that there is now no condemnation for those who believe, but only everlasting joy. I love that, everlasting joy. And he goes on to make two points. Here's the first one. You can't outgrow the gospel. You can't outgrow the gospel. You never, never outgrow your need for it. Don't ever think of the gospel of that's the way you get saved, then you get strong by leaving it, and you do something else. No, we are strengthened by God through the gospel every day till the day we drop. You never outgrow the need to preach to yourself the gospel. And here was his second point. The gospel is perfect for your needs. Perfectly timed, perfectly applied, perfectly suited to my need. That's why, if you hold up a Bible, that's why it's so thick, because there are so many different needs that you have. (coughs) You see, Piper is right. The gospel is indeed perfect. Perfect for you, perfect for me, perfect for every need, perfect for this generation, Perfect for the coming generation, perfect for the past generation, perfect for every nationality, every person. Thirty nationalities come together at St. Michael's, including a lady from Mongolia and a lady from Eritrea. And the gospel is perfect for them. And there are two aspects to experiencing the good news for ourselves. Look at verse 15. You'll see it there. Repent. And believe the good news. We need to repent. Yes, I know it's an old-fashioned word. Yes, it's not the sort of word that we uh, use every day, but it's a Bible word and it's an important word. Repentance seems me- simply means turning our back on all that we know to be wrong and our old way of life. It means having a change of thinking so that we change direction. It's doing a U-turn and that can be hard it can be hard to admit that we're wrong. Uh, Trisha and I have been married for 36 years, and we have had to learn, at least I have had to learn, to say, you were right and I was wrong. And that's what we have to say to God. You were right and I was wrong. It doesn't come easily. It doesn't come to us because we are rebellious human beings who like to run our lives, And I know it's a very, very old song, but it's as true as ever, Frank Sinatra's I Did It My Way. I want to do it my way. The fact is, if we're entering the kingdom of God, we have to do it God's way to submit to the rule of the king of kings and take ourselves off the throne. And this necessity of repentance was central to the preaching of John the Baptist. We read about that in verse 4 of Mark 1. It was central, as we see here in verse 15, to the preaching of Jesus. And it was also central from the birth of the early church. And if it was central, then it's central to us today. So at Pentecost, Peter explained the coming of the Holy Spirit by focusing on Jesus' divine identity. And he concluded his speech with these words in Acts 2:36, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified no messing with Peter, both Lord and Christ. And we read, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So let's get over the old-fashionedness of the word repent, and let's grasp the essential nature of repentance. And it's essential if we're to experience the good news. It's the very first step. But the second step is that we need to believe. Now, that's not just an intellectual assent, but intentionally saying to God, I am prepared to turn my back on all that I know to be wrong. I do believe Jesus is the savior of the world, and I am prepared to accept what he says about me and my need of a savior. Now I do remember the very first time I heard the gospel as a 17 year old in the school chapel with 800 other boys. Now you have to imagine a big Victorian building with 400 boys facing 400 other boys. The preacher looked very ordinary, he was a dumpy little man, and he looked like Father Brown, if you know the Father Brown stories. He wasn't striking at all. And I was probably thinking to myself, another dull, boring sermon coming up. As he spoke, suddenly it hit me. This was entirely new. I had never heard it before. Now just imagine this. They had, my parents spent a lot of money on my education. And I had never heard the good news of Jesus Christ. And, of course, he explained the news in a totally straightforward way because it is totally straightforward. And I knew that what he was saying was very important. But because I'd never heard it before, I couldn't quite get it together. Because I'd never heard it before. Now, if you'd come to Burning Man, only some of you could have come to Burning Man, you'd have heard Paul Cowley. Paul Cowley's had a wonderful ministry with Alpha in prisons. And he was in the army And he'd been in the army for some time and he had never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. He'd never met a chaplain, he'd never met a Christian, he'd never met anybody. Until one day he did meet one who told him that he needed to become a Christian and told him the good news of Jesus. He had never heard it before, ever. And you see, the message to repent and believe is an unchanging message the message that is very good news, it's very good news for all generations and for all times. And so I have to ask you very gently, are you experiencing the power of the good news in your life tonight? Is that good news for you? Because if it's not good news for you, it's hardly likely you're going to pass it on to anybody else. What about the messengers? Look at verse 16. As he walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said. I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. And when he'd gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. And without delay he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hard men and followed him. I always want to say, I wonder what their father Zebedee thought. Hold on a minute, I'm fishing. The first messengers, and this is my second point, have some striking characteristics. Here's the first one. They were ordinary people going about their ordinary work. They were not super saints when Jesus called them. They were professional fishermen. It's a tough life being a fisherman. Did you know that the most dangerous occupation is deep sea fishing? More people are killed as deep sea fishermen than any other profession. And we will see two of them, Peter and John, later when they were described uh, rather patronizingly as unschooled ordinary men. Uh, the Old Testament prophet Amos was simply minding his own business when God's call came to him. He had no family links with prophets. He had no, nobody in the family was a vicar. And he tells us in Amos 7 that he was a shepherd who also took care of sycamore fig trees. I have no idea what a sycamore fig tree is, but he was minding his own business. And God called him to speak for him. You see, God will choose who he chooses as his servants, and he doesn't necessarily choose brilliant, amazing celebrities or stars. Because their danger is they say, look at me, how great I am. Whereas an ordinary person will say, look at Jesus, how great he is. And God often chooses ordinary people like you and me to do extraordinary things for him. Here's my second point. They obeyed Jesus' call. In both instances here, it seems they obeyed immediately. Of Simon and Andrew, at once they left their nets. Jesus called James and John without delay, verse 20. It seems they left their father straight away. Now, Jesus didn't say to them, as William Barclay amusingly writes, follow me, I have a theological system which I would like you to investigate. Or... I have certain theories that I would like you to think over, or I have an ethical system I would like to discuss with you. No, Jesus said, follow me. And the fact that they did tells us something about their personal reaction to him. They followed Jesus because of who he was. He had an authority and personal attractiveness which drew them on. Later, something else would draw men and women to him, namely the cross. Jesus looked ahead to that moment when he said, I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. On the cross, Jesus took both your sins and mine on himself. He paid the penalty for our sin. He died the death you and I deserve to die. And when we truly realize what he has done for us, following him is what we all truly want to do. He loves you that much. All of us have moments when we feel really down about ourselves, but we know that we are loved by the cross. That's how far he was prepared to go for you and me. You are of infinite value to God. I studied art history. There are some paintings like the Mona Lisa which are literally priceless. You can't value them. You are priceless to God. Here's the third thing. They were prepared for the call to be costly. After the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, we read in Acts 3 how Simon, called Peter, Uh, and John healed a man crippled from birth. Some 5,000 men believed as a result of Peter's sermon following the incidents. Wow, that must have been a sermon. But all this popularity greatly troubled the religious leaders. So Peter and John were hauled before the Sanhedrin, which was the supreme religious court, not a group of men to be messed with. They unashamedly gave all the credit, Peter and John, for the healing to Jesus. And listen to their words. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, incidentally, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Salvation is found in no one else. Now, the highly educated judges of the Sanhedrin identified something that astonished them. They recognized their courage and realized, as I said earlier, that they were unschooled ordinary men. But we're told those religious leaders also took note that Peter and John had been with Jesus. It's not enough to have an academic, intellectual understanding of the good news. There must be a relationship with Jesus who is at the heart of that good news if the messenger is to be an effective communicator of the message. Peter and John were acutely aware that they were living each moment in God's presence. And so when the Sanhedrin uh, told them not to speak or teach anymore in the name of Jesus, they replied this, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Just imagine for a moment if all the Christians in this country spoke of what they have seen and heard about what Jesus has done in changing people's lives, if they were real witnesses, a witness simply tells what they have seen and heard. But maybe it's because we are silent witnesses that this country doesn't know. That relationship with Jesus, that consciousness of being in his presence in God's sight moment by moment, was what made them so powerful against such opposition. It was hard to attack. They were saying, This is what we know. This is our story. However much somebody may dislike it, they can't dismiss it. And they were prepared for the call to be costly, they were prepared that there may be a reaction. Well, this was the Sanhedrin. This was the Supreme Religious Court. And they had been very bold, don't you think? Whom you crucified. And I want to ask you, as I ask of myself, have you heard the call of Jesus on your life? Are you aware that as you walk with him, you have a particular task? And that is to testify about him at every opportunity. To stand up for him. To speak for him. And, of course, to live for him. We are Jesus's shop windows. You know that phrase, uh, when people actually don't go into the shop, they say, I'm just looking. People will just look at you. Of course, he's called us to different front lines. We've thought about this before. Some of you are in offices. Some may be involved with schools. Some with sports clubs. Some with neighbors. But for all of us, the message is the same. The gospel has never changed down the centuries. We're not to water it down, however unpopular it might be. Peter and John refused to compromise with their culture, and we should refuse to compromise with ours. There is a cost to being a follower of Jesus. There always has been, and some are paying for it even now around the world. So knowing what a challenge it can be, can you get together with one or two other Christians in your firm to support each other in prayer, share your challenges in a home group, or uh, those you know in Burning Man or the Breakfast Club? Every single Christian is called to be God's messenger or ambassador, as the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5. And to do that effectively, we need to be personally thrilled again with the good news And if you feel it's all too familiar, then ask God tonight to excite you once more with the life-changing truth of what Jesus has done for you or for those you care for. Then be ready as his messenger. Be prepared to pay the cost. It may be unpopularity. It may be criticism, knowing that you speak in the name of the King of Kings and you refuse to be ashamed of him. but there is a call reserved for a few. And that is the call to full-time ordained ministry. The projections are currently that by 2030, that's 14 years time, some 70%, 70% of current Church of England clergy will have retired. 70% in 14 years. Now, that's a concerning statistic. Over the years, numbers of people have been called from this church to do just that, to full-time ordained ministry. Many of them in my time were lay assistants who are now leading churches. And it's important as a church, we provide opportunities for testing such a call. That's why we have the lay, uh, we have the ministry trainees, James and Sam, and doing a terrific job, if I may say. Maybe... God is calling you. You may be doing some other job but have sensed increasingly this inner voice. Don't ignore it. Have a word with me or Tim or John. Ask Christian friends, ask your family what they think and pray. It's the church ultimately which recognizes whether God is calling you or not to this form of ministry. It will be costly It may mean, as it did for my wife, Trisha, and me, going far away from family and friends. And that was only in this country. Many others have been called overseas. But God is no one's debtor. And nothing is more thrilling than to be in such ministry, for there's no greater privilege than to see men, women, and children putting their faith and trust in Jesus and growing as his disciples in that faith. And so I'd say, if God is calling you, don't hold back. Act on that even today. Because doing what God wants you to do is the very best thing of all. So, we've considered the message, the good news. We've considered the messengers. We've considered the call on all Christians and the call for a few. All of us are called. No one's left out if we're a follower of Jesus. So what has God been saying to you? Bearing in mind that his word is living and active. What does God want you to do as a result of hearing his word today? After the service, take the opportunity to pray with a friend or the prayer ministry team, which will be available here. Pray, too, for the ministry of this church. In 14 years' time, I think it's highly unlikely there will be three clergy, even probably unlikely for two. I hope there will be one. But lay ministry, the ministry of all Christians, is a key ministry. And we must pray, too, for gospel-centred, ordained ministry of leaders in churches. For the gospel... Is the power of God to give hope, to give life, to give meaning in a world that cannot do any of those things, although it can do many things, but not that? Any Jesus can. There is salvation in no one else. Let us pray.